Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. figured out how to watch party this time i think oh, i did it hey. go us <laughs> so go successful us. we figured out very simple things <laughs> welcome everyone welcome i know i struggled with zoom today oh no i was the laughing stock of my zoom contingent well you laughed out of the out of the zoom room i was well i would oh, no. have been but it was my zoom room which was the funny thing oh no oh no well anyway we're here and it's star trek time it's Star Trek time. It's Friday, and you are watching slash listening to Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. I am Aki Vermees, and... I am Steph Manns. I don't know. I, we never really do that at the top, but it's like that. a cool yeah. thing to try. Uh, <laughs> say Just write that name. down. Never do that again. Yes, that was a terrible idea. Today, we will be covering episode five of season three, entitled die trying indeed any pre-notes you'd like to make any any pre-discussion i rather enjoyed this one i thought it was great yeah it felt like what a star trek episode used to feel like a little bit oh hello uh-huh. okay yeah we, we can preach all right well let's run it down real quick and then we'll get into the knit and the grit it's time to run it down Yeah, no, if you're only listening to this podcast, you're really missing out on the running down dance section of the show. Yeah. Next time we'll do like a wave that goes into. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Back and forth. Put put your arm up right now. Okay, I'm ready. You go. Okay. I think I know. Okay. And then. Yes, look at that. (laughs) Uh, Quality entertainment. Please support Mm. us at patreon.com slash set phasers. Yeah, we need the money. (laughs) We need the money so we can give you more waves. Okay, so let's get into episode five, Die Trying. Mm-hmm. So basically, we now have the coordinates for Starfleet slash the Federation. And uh, so uh, they they jumped to, I, I assume that they they spore drived, spore drove, spore drive? They black spored, alerted? They black alerted. Blacked alerted. Well, I'll work they, on they blur- it. Did they blurt? They blurted. They blurted and they spore drove to. Uh, this Starfleet HQ and they handed in all their information because I guess they were in touch beforehand and they had to head through this weird like cloaking distortion field and when they come through it's a bunch of cool futuristic ships there's a bunch of cool stuff which even though we're pressed for time I will list now some of the ships had organic hulls some of them were purely holographic there were uh, neutronium alloy fibers. There were detached nacelles. There was a thing that was just like a floating donut rainforest, I guess. And also, there was a USS Voyager. Mm. Uh, and okay. this was hard for me to... I tried to get the, the call number on it, but 
CBS All Access really didn't want me to pause and find oh, they don't it. Like I kept you to making pause. it small, but I figured it out. They don't want you to screenshot. They learned a tough lesson today because I am persistent. It was <laughs> USS Voyager 74656-J. So that's a lot of Voyager. Anyway, so those are some cool things we saw, we saw in the weird distortion fieldy thing that has um, beautiful energy spouts coming out of it. And so they they get like remote docked and Saru, Michael, and Adira Tall are asked to come down to be spoken with. They show up on HQ. It's bright. It's, you know, colorful. It's multi-level. It's got a glass dome for some reason. It's a gorgeous looking uh, sort of um, corporate looking uh, atrium style thing. Uh, and no one, it, for the first time, it doesn't seem like anyone is like trying to kill them for showing up. Like, it's not like when they showed up and the cowboy guy showed up and was like, you gonna die. Or when they got to Earth and they were like, you gonna die. This was just people being a bit frosty. They were just a bit frosty, just a bit cold. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> so, do you like that? <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> I wrote, gray uniforms, frosty. And... They meet the commander-in-chief of Starfleet. His name is Charles Vance. And they meet his head of security, Lieutenant Willa. And uh, mm -hmm. Vance is fairly cold, but almost, he's almost like polite cold. And then Willa is like impolite cold. Hmm. That's fair. And he's also distrustful. He is, but he's, he explains himself well for being distrustful. He's not compassionate mm. in that he is going to do sort of mean things. But he does explain himself, whereas Willa just seems very much like security officer 101, get out of my face, you know. But anyway, I liked mm -hmm. it. I liked that that is still the thing. There's like a captain who's like, yeah, I'm all business. And then there's their security officer who's like, I'm all business and not friendly unless you win me over. Anyway, uh, we find out that Kaminar joined the Federation. That's just a footnote for anybody. A lot of things happen as they get introduced, but basically... Vance is like, okay, well, we need to debrief about all the information you sent because it's very confusing. And so we'd like to, we, we're going to sit down and talk and then we'll see if we can trust you or whatever. Uh, he's like, I have a lot of questions. In the, in the time that they're figuring all that out, though, we get a report from the Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga. I feel like that word is not pronounced that way. I can't help you. Cuyahoga is what I'm going to say. And that's a ship, and they're saying that Orion and Endorian vessels are in the Sigma Dracona system, and they go, it's the Emerald Chain. The Emerald Chain. Which apparently is the Orion and Dorian syndicate thing that we met in the first episode. I don't know. They kind of referenced it in this, and they mentioned someone named Osira. Van says Osira is getting more and more brazen these days. Also, there's these Keely. Yes? Oh, no, it's Osiris. I didn't know that it seemed like an Egyptian god name, but I'm sure that will have mm. some sort of ramifications down the road. But Osiris is a pretty good if you were like looking for a cool name. <laughs> you start with Osiris, you take the I out, place it with the Y, double the R's, but nay. Maybe Osiris is the female version. Let's have a look. Oh, perhaps. Oh, wait, are you oh, I'm Googling, Googling that? Yeah. If you want to know, you can Google that. Osira is a fictional character in the DC comic books uh, Wonder Woman. Oh, she sure. She appeared in Wonder Woman, Volume 1, 
number 231 in May 1997. No, May 1977. I was going to say. So yeah. no Egyptian relation. Nope. None that we know of. None that we know of. Okay, so there's this Osiris character. We'll come back to that. Adira has to go get a full medical diagnostic. And Vance to say, let's be clear. I was close with Senatol. I'm not close with you. Which is, you know, a little cold, as I said. little cold. It's a bit cold. There's also this Kili refugee crisis. Apparently the Kili are sort of like a nomadic species and they're suffering some sort of cascade failure of their nervous systems. And they only have four hours to live and they're overflowing the sickbay and they're being treated in the hallways now. And Michael and Saru offered to help, but Vance is like, uh, no, 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 no. We need to know what your deal is before we offer you any kind of information. So they sit down with Vance and he's like, okay, tell me about all this stuff. And he mistrusts everything they mentioned. The spore, da- the spore drive, sphere data, control. And basically he's just like, you know, we don't have any evidence of this information because it was wiped at the end of season uh, two from the records. I'm surprised there's no like black ops ultra confidential for your eyes only record of this stuff. But I guess they didn't do that for Starfleet. So he says, basically, you know, uh, there, we have two things that are true and, and it's not a good situation. Um, he does tell them that the Federation is now 38 member worlds, only 38 down from apparently 350 when it was at his prime. And maybe there's more, but because there's no subspace communications, they have no idea. They can't be sure. Um, but he will not discuss the burn. It is confidential and he does not yet trust the crew of Discovery. Also, he basically tells them, hey, quick history lesson. We spent most of the 30th century fighting this uh, war to uphold the temporal accords to ban time travel so people can mess with the timeline. So you being here is... Do what you did. Yeah, you're basically illegal. You know? Which is an interesting, uh, I'm not going to say it underscores a current day rip from the headlines crisis, but essentially he's informing Discovery that their very being there is puts them in uh, in some sort of uh, like, a, I don't know how to describe it, is unlawful that they are there. They can't be there. Mm. Anyway, uh, their presence is a crime is the way he just, he describes it. But... Then he says, hey, this is great. So um, we're going to talk to the rest of your crew, and then we're going to split you up, and we're going to retrofit Discovery. A good day. And Michael's like, what? And even Saru's like, what? But then he's like, okay, because Saru's all about like a chain of command. So they're going to reassign the crew. They're going to split them up. So when Michael and Saru get back to the ship, the, you know, Michael goes to the mattress. It's like, we got to figure out a way to keep the crew together. We got to convince this guy. I know we're supposed to follow orders that we're back home, quote, in Starfleet, but it's not right to take this crew apart. And I have to agree with her there. I know she was supposed to seem like the hothead or something in this episode, but what benevolent group like Starfleet or the Federation would go like, oh, you've been through some trauma where all of you have been dislocated 930 years into the future, into a situation where your very being makes you illegal. We're going to split you guys up. Mm. There would have been some sort of medical guy that would have been like, hey, you can't do that. They've just undergone such trauma. Didn't look like anybody was doing that. That's all I'm saying. It was just Vance and, mm. and Willa being very cold. Um, so, okay. Michael wants to see if there's a way that they, if they can help the Keeley, maybe they can prove to Vance and the Federation at large that their, their intentions are good. There's a crew debrief because they're basically going through with this plan. And so the crew gets debriefed by basically these android beings. 
And Discovery is uh, full of, uh, I would describe everyone on Discovery at this point as hard cases. They've been through the Klingon War. They went to the Terran universe. They survived that. They came back. They survived the fight with Red Angel and they went forward in time. So I don't know how they thought these basic bland computers were going to phase them. You know, Culver's like, yeah, I died. I was murdered. It was pretty jacked up. Uh, Jet Reno's like, uh, I need some snacks. She actually winds up eating nachos in her interview, which I thought was awesome. Mm. Uh, I believe there were blue corn nachos, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't she, at that point, did she say, can I get a beer? She said, I'm going to need a beverage or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to need a beverage with these. Um, non, just completely stonewalls. So every question they ask her, she gives her name, rank, and like duty roster. Anyway, I thought that was a cute moment. So everyone sort of held, held their ground in their own way. They were not intimidated. Giorgio's debrief is very weird and we'll come back to that, I guess. Right? That's its own weird thing. Mm. Um, so Michael and Saru are able to get Vance to give them the the travel plans of the Keeley and they find out that the Keeley visited this place, this planet called Erna, which in their time, in the 23rd century, was like an industrial planet that was about to be shut down because of the horrific uh, consequences that any living entity on that planet would suffer because of they were dealing with like exotic chemicals and metals and things like that. And so there's this quote, UVB radiation, that if the Keeley visited, visited there and scavenged, then they probably wound up eating or ingesting or touching something that gave them these, what do they call the misfolding proteins that are leading to their cascade failure nervous systems. And Michael mentions that there used to be a seed ship because there, there's, there's a way to create a vaccine that they can get healthy specimens of the plants that used to grow on this planet Erna. There was a, a seed ship 930 years ago, the USS Tikoff. And if they can find that, they can get samples of the original flora and they can perhaps design some sort of treatment, right? The Admiral's like, great, that's a great idea. The USS Tikoff still exists. We're going to just take Disco and Stamets and we'll, we'll do the job because we don't trust you yet. And Michael speaks up a little bit. She gets kind of like, like the, the uh, Vance is like, watch your tone, Commander. You're not home yet. Which was like, why was that necessary? Mm. You know? Anyway, I, I mean, it's just it's plain yeah, it's, it's very cold. And Saru manages to interpose and say, "Listen, why don't you send Michael and my crew, and I will stay here, basically as a hostage, uh, because I think they can do it. You only have four hours to save these people, and we can jump there immediately with the spore drive, get what we need from the takeoff, come back, and save these people." And Vance agrees. He's like, "You know, if you fail, it will come down on him." These threats are very un-Starfleet-like. That's all I have to say. But also he insists that Lieutenant Willa go with them with the security detail. And Willa's very derisive of Discovery, and therefore she has earned my eternal ire. Um, <laughs> so Disco jumps to the, the Tikoff location. They show up there. There's no Tikoff. There's a huge iron storm. They have to go in, find the Tikoff in the iron storm, and tractor it out. It's a pretty scary bit of business. Detmer, who's still a little shaky on the controls, has a bit of trouble, but she does manage to pull the ship through, get them in and get them out, and they get the teak off. It's exhibiting weird kinds of radiation, but they go in there. Apparently, there was a Barzan family that was in charge. Barzan is the race that Nan is. And Barzan apparently joined the Federation in the 25th century. So 
Uh, the away team is Culber, Nan, and Michael. They go over to the ship. They beam over. It's overrun with plants, but there are no real life signs. There's like a flickering life sign that they don't know. Maybe the radiation is messing with their, their instruments. That was such a Star Trek moment when there was this sort of shift in light that you were like, oh, that's a, that's a being. That's something. That's an entity. Oh, it's great. Oh, totes. When they, when they like walk off screen and then the music swells. Yeah. I was like, this is it's classic track. Every, this is classic track. This is like, we know what this episode is. There's something in there with them. Uh, <clears throat> when they get to the main living quarters, no one is there, but there's like a hollow program of the family that was there. Mother, father, two daughters. They're like singing a song. The song, weirdly, is the song that Adira was mm-hmm. playing from Senatal's Memories on the cello at the end of the last episode, which I am on the record as saying was creepy. Did you pick that up before they told us that that was the memory? They reinforced that, hey, we've heard this before. But did you pick it up before they told us? I can't remember now. I think that I did because I think it was also played in the last time on Discovery. They did a bit of the cello. And so when um, they were humming it, I was like, that sounds familiar, but I couldn't remember if it was like they're mm-hmm. humming a Star Trek theme or something. But I, I did appreciate. If they hadn't said it, I probably would have enjoyed figuring it out. I'll put it that way. But it's fine, you know. I think it would have been cool if we didn't know until the end of the episode. If Michael was like, hmm, "That's a weird melody. <gasps> it's the same melody." Dun dun dun. But that didn't happen, so no dun dun dun. It's all right. We're in the first half of the season here. It's all discovery. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to get into some serious dun dun duns, maybe even in the next episode, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Anyway, uh, Michael has to go into the seed vault, which you can only go, go into by transporting. And she tries to get some seeds out, but you need a vocal password. She basically needs a password, which she don't have. In the meantime, Culber and Nan explore the living quarters and see if they can find the family. Nan goes through the logs and sees that the family was happy until something happened. A a uh, bright light, I think, is what I'm going to say. She's, uh, the main doctor, the father, I guess, Dr. Addis says that some light hurt them. And he's trying to find a cure. And he's going, getting slowly more uh, sort of intense. And uh, eventually he starts to like weirdly disrupt in the, in his, in the hologram. Uh, and at the same time, Culber finds the daughters and the mother. And they are in stasis, but they did. They did. In stasis, but they did. They did. So once they figure that out, Michael also briefly has a fight with Dr. Addis in the seed vault, but then he disappears because he's apparently phasing in and out from himself. (laughs) Why is that happening? Not to worry, because we've got the crazy trio on the job. So Michael and Culber, they explain the situation and who's working on it, Stamets, Tilly, and Reno. They're working the problem. And also, I would watch, I would definitely watch a spinoff series just about the three of them in that lab. That's all I have to say. All right. <laughs> yep. They figure out that it was a coronal mass injection, that Addis was beaming into the seed vault as it hit. That's why he was caught out of phase, but that's why his family got sick. It was six weeks ago. They managed to trap him by simulating a power failure on the stasis pods. That allows him to rebeam him in and rebeam him out and rebeam him in. And anyway, he's back. And then uh, Michael has to make a, an impassioned case to get him out of this state of like aggrieved catatonia to give them the code and they get the seeds. But then he's super sick 
but he refuses to accept any treatment because he won't leave his family. And so Nan makes the great sacrifice of saying, I will stay with the seed ship and I will make sure that they get home to Barzan and are buried properly. And she and Michael share a tearful goodbye. And they say, I hope their paths cross again. And I have to tell you, I hope their paths cross again. Um, and uh, they fly, the disco flies back. They make the cure. Happy, dappy, happy, dappy. Saru mentions uh, these Renaissance painter Giotto in a, making an impassioned, like a oratorical plea to keep the crew together, saying that they can offer perspective. And Vance says, okay. And he says, welcome home. Oh, a little follow-up. Uh, Michael goes to Will and says, hey, did you ask anybody about that melody? And Will is like, oh, yeah, like half the people here know that melody. It's like a thing we all know. And Michael's like, don't you think that's weird? And Will says, some things get in the ether, end quote. So that's the main thing. And then we can just quickly go back and tag and say, Giorgio has an interview with somebody whose name I don't think we ever get. So I just call him, quote, Glasses. Mm. And I hope he never gives us a name because I like calling him Glasses. And he's apparently some sort of like Terran fan, aficionado, studier. And he basically tells her a couple of crazy things. One, that there's some kind of genetic thing in her stem cell, quantum stem cell thing that makes her chimeric, makes Terrans evil. Tells her that the Terran Empire fell centuries ago, tells her that ever since she left the Terran universe, their two universes have been drifting apart, that the last person to cross over was 500 years ago, and uh, I think there was one more weird thing. Is there another weird thing I'm forgetting? Mm. That might be it. But their relationship was very strange, and he also is pretty good at reading Giorgio, probably the first person that's good at reading Giorgio. Yeah. Because he's such, he's had so long, a thousand years to study Terrans. Right. Right. So that was interesting. And then at the very end, Michael approaches Giorgio and Giorgio's super out of it. And Michael calls, you know, talk, calls her name like four times before she comes around. And then she kind of like is like, oh, I'm fine. And walks away. And then privately has a very confused look on her face. Mm. So that was episode five of season three, Die Trying. Indeed. Indeed. It's been run down. It's been run down. It's been run down. Okay, so what do you got? What are your thoughts? What am I? Well, as I say, I liked that, you know, it was a bit of a throwback of like, get the band back together, get some some more, the Star Trek that we're used to. A quick adventure. A quick mission. A quick yeah. adventure. Prove themselves to like the powers that be above them who often don't think they can do it or don't think that they're that they know best is the the higher power as we've you know been used to seeing in, right. in star trek's past and yeah i'm excited i'm i'm curious to see what they do next within the context of the bigger starfleet versus sort of on their own in the in the future right they're finally back in starfleet i wonder how long it will last but they're finally back in starfleet let's go with your tinfoil theories come on okay as usual i have written down a couple of Yes. <clears throat> Bleep blorp. Beep. Number one. <laughs> the melody. What's the deal with it? Everyone knows it. Her Willa's answer was some things are in the ether. Way to be creepy. Yeah. Uh, some sort of coded message for something. It has to have something to do with the burn, right? It's this melody, right? I don't know what it is, but is it like 
a melody that yeah or is it yeah some kind of frequency thing like it it has to have something to do with the larger picture because a this is discovery so that only makes sense i cannot figure out what it is but it is creepy that the kids it's like a lullaby that everyone knows in some way shape or form it's a very depressing lullaby (sighs) yeah pretty pretty sad it's pretty sad um all right so the melody is a thing to look out for and now i feel like all of us in every episode are gonna be like is that the melody is that the melody is that the melody and i just kind of envision have you ever seen close encounters of the third kind i can't remember it's the richard dreyfus thing where he's like he's compelled to build i forget the reason he's compelled he kind of like uh, alienates himself from his family i'm sorry going off on this tangent but in the end they're able to talk to this big alien spacecraft by using musical tones Mm, I don't recall. It's like, womp, womp, womp. And then the spacecraft goes, womp, womp, womp. Anyway. Thank you for that. I don't know why I felt I had to perform that whole thing. If you've seen Close Encounters out there and you're listening, you're freaking out. And everyone else thinks that I'm a (laughs) weirdo, which is fair. Uh, Okay. The temporal accords. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just like... to dwell on that because a it ropes in Enterprise, the most unbeloved of all the Star Trek franchises, which had all that temporal war business in the first season and I think in the final season. Although, don't look too hard at that because it gets pretty bad. But I like that there's these temporal accords. I wonder if that also has something to do with the burn. If they were fighting, if they've been spending most of the 30th century fighting. Time travelers? I mean, anything is possible. All bunch of weird stuff is possible. And that's part of why they're not trusted, right? Because they could be temporal agents, even though they admit that they came from the, the past. Yeah. I don't know. There's so many theories about the burn and what it, like how it was orchestrated, what the purpose of it was, who yeah. did it. We do have, um, <clears throat> is this the first episode we get confirmation that it was 120 years ago? Like a, a real pinpoint number on it? I think, yeah, probably. The book was like 100 years ago. I don't know, before my time. And this is the first time at least we've been mm-hmm. told because Van says it was 120 years ago, I think, or was it Glasses, who I don't trust at all. Which brings me to my next point. Glasses, what's up with him? I don't know. He's super weird. He's like an old man. He's wearing glasses. Well, yes, and he doesn't need to, obviously, because no one needs to wear glasses yeah. anymore. Right, and he adjusts them in a very conspicuous way while talking to Giorgio. Like he's like like their x-ray or he's monitoring her bio signs or something. Mm-hmm. And then Georgia's all weird at the end. I wonder if he like brainwashed her or tried to do some weird, you know, mumbo jumbo. In the, the throw forward to season, sorry, to the next episode. Mm-hmm. Georgia looks like she passes out. Yep. And then that led me to wonder whether like there was something, you know how like the light thing, she's sensitive to light. And then I was like, oh, maybe... There's yeah. something about Linus that she finds fascinating because of her own light sensitivity. And maybe there was something about... You digging deep. Yeah, me with my tinfoil. I got tinfoil. You got tinfoil, And then yeah. okay. in that interview, if there was some sort of light thing that he did, because she seemed really off, like not just sort of deep in thought. She just seemed like away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she seemed like she was like a sleeper agent or something. Mm. She wasn't like distracted. She was like yeah. not there for a second. That's creepy, and I feel like Glasses has something to do with it. And and she was the only one who met with Glasses, as far as we know. None of us even know about, none of the rest of the crew knows about Glasses. I wonder if there's something in a theory where 
the longer she spends in the future and then the, so much further away from her universe and some like sort of out of phase, something like that. It's possible. Yeah. I don't know. I think all that information, we got a big mm. lore dump in the, in that meeting with glasses. <clears throat> I think is all very important for what's going to happen with Giorgio and maybe with the burn. I don't know the idea of like universes moving apart. Subspace is not working. He's cloak and dagger. He's a strange one who just stood there staring at her while his two android, his two holograms tried to grill her. She also breaks his communicator and takes the middle part out mm -hmm. of it in that discussion. I don't know. There's a lot there. Okay. Terran Universe, Melody, Temporal Accords, Giorgio, and Who is Glasses. And then finally, this now almost seems like mundane, but the Emerald Chain. The Emerald Chain. Watch out for the Emerald Chain. Uh, they were the people that caused, they had the exchange, right? Assume, presumably, in the first episode. Cindy's given us some theory, love. Thank you, Cindy, because we can do this all day. Oh, this is yeah. just, these are just hot takes. I could come up with theories. I just, beautiful mind out here. <laughs> just red yarn and photos. Uh, so, <laughs> what's the deal with the Emerald Chain? They're good. Is that like a, gonna be a big foil? Because it seems like it was. It was really set up and underscored strongly in the first two episodes. But then they went to a different sector and we thought maybe that we'd left the exchange and the whole Orion and Dorian uh, like union behind. But it seems like they're, they're impinging upon Starfleet hmm. territory now. And this Osira person. Osira. 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 Uh, and of course, if the Emerald Chain <laughs> is involved mm. in something. That means we're going to get to look at book. Oh, yes, book. Right? That's true. Book. Oh, yes. And best believe I saw that he's going to appear in the next episode. And I will have a hot, sexy book slow jam ready for the next episode. Yes. Oh, show. Oh, you've been promising mm -hmm. this. Yeah. I started work on it this week. I got, I got busy, but. Uh, I'm sure you did. I've got some pretty awful rhymes ready. I think we're going to be in good shape. Oh, I'm so curious. Could wrap up some lyrics just now. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, God. Those abs. All right. So we're going to have a great time next week. That's all I can promise you. I feel like the Emerald Chain maybe has some secrets. That's why Michael was acting as a courier for the year that she was waiting for Discovery. And she thinks that she found some information on the burn. Mm. And she traded that weird... Um, little information tube crystal with that guy in that intro. Mm -hmm. Remember that? So I just feel like if we're going to be dealing with the Emerald, <clears throat> if we're going to be dealing with the Emerald Chain and Osira next episode, yeah, I'm going to keep doing it. You keep doing it. Then give me so much more to edit. Thank you so much. The Emerald Chain. If we're going to keep dealing with the Emerald Chain and Osira next episode, I think we're going to get some more information about the burn. Or more questions. And I don't know. I'm excited too. I think this this is classic discovery in that I have no idea. Because we know it's not episodic. We know that you can't just like watch an episode and then like, all right, put it out of your head and come back the next week. Like the experience of watching TNG on TV back in the day was like, it wraps up good and you don't have to worry about what's going on with the crew over the next week until the next episode. But now... 
everything in every episode, you kind of have to wonder, like, is this going to come back to bite us in the ass? Yeah. You're spot on there, buddy. Are we tinfoiled out? That's all I got. We're tinfoiled out for now. Maybe we need a tinfoil theory section. What with Hey. Yes. That's all I got. Do, all do, I have do, is a do, rundown do, of tinfoil theories. Tinfoil yeah. time. Something like that. Tinfoil time. Tin time. Yeah. Sounds like you got it covered. I don't have a. I don't have my Glockenspiel. Oh, that was supposed to be a Glockenspiel. That, yeah. I thought those were roto times. I thought that was like a. Do 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 boo do boo do 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 do. Well, t- tinfoil. <laughs> I suppose I just feel like a Glockenspiel might be close to the tinfoil feeling. Well, I don't have a Glockenspiel. Yes, Maybe you have I have a synthesizer. With the keyboard. Well, uh, well it's, we'll see what it can synthesize. All right. Anyway. Because um, there's metal. Shall we? Should, yeah. yeah. I think we should wrap this up. Let's it's been it. great. Yeah. Let's wrap it up. Next time. Yeah. Next time. Do we have any quotable moments or set phasers? No? Oh, snap. I can't believe I forgot quotable moments. I have so many great quotes. Okay. Hit me with the quotable moments. How did you nearly forget? Oh, because I'm looking at my cheat sheet and I didn't write quotable moments this week. Mm-hmm. So got so obsessed with my tin foiling. All right, I got a couple here. I have a super heavy one, which I'll save. Uh but I liked that when Vance says two truths now occupy the same space that never goes well. I don't know why I did it in that voice. And also he says as as I saying, he like explains his mistrust well. He says from where I sit and I sit here Trusting you is a risk I cannot take without evidence. Yeah. Uh, and then, oh, this could even be a, uh, what should you call it? A meme, although I'm not, good. I don't know if it could be because it's a little sad. Uh, Giorgio says the weakness of people is generally other people, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed. Anyway. That's some yeah. wisdom. It's very Giorgio esque, yeah. <laughs> very anti Starfleet. And then, okay, <clears throat> the thing Michael says to Dr. Addis this is the big quote. This is the big Star Trek moment of the episode. I know you had to watch them die. I'm sorry. No one should ever have to go through that. But there are others that are about to walk where you've been walking, and you have a chance to stop it. Please help them. Oh, no, please help us. Help them. Dr. Kalber being our man of the hour, man of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course, hold on, just going through my, hold on, let me just uh, consult my notes here. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, yes, it's Willa. It was a moment when which I softened my hatred of her. She had so offended everyone I love. And she says to Tilly Stamets and Reno, she says, dysfunction aside, you all make a pretty good team. And then Reno says, dysfunction is the team. <laughs> and actually, yes, Dammit says, uh, but we've gotten used to it or something like that. And then Reno says, no, no we haven't. haven't. <laughs> oh, we like it, I think mm-hmm. is what he says. And she says, no, we haven't. And then he gives her a very hurt look. I loved that moment. That's why I would watch that show. I was in a Star Trek forum actually this week, because of course that's what I do now. And someone yeah. was interviewing jet reno or tignataro and mm-hmm. said does anyone have any questions and i said does tignataro have any have a hand in any of the one-liners and the zingers on the show yeah she apparently does not she gave all the credit to the writers but she delivers it with so much class and she is well she's consummate 
I did listen to her interview on the Star Trek pod directive. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you checked that out. I haven't yet. But she mentioned that she has a lot of trouble with the jargon, which is like what her character does when she's not being... And uh, I thought that it's just funny now that I see her saying stuff like cosmic ejection, whatever. I know that she's like, this is awful. <laughs> she 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 almost quit because she thought she was so terrible. Really? After her first appearance. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad mm-hmm. she didn't. Yeah. As a Good real. fun facts. Love, love me some fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. We love Reno. All righty. Next time on Set Phasers. Next time on Set Phasers. All right. Well, next week on Set Phasers, we'll talk about episode six of season three, entitled Scavengers. Ooh. Ooh. And we get to see Book. Book's going to be in it. Giorgio's going to pass out. Um, Michael's going to say some stuff. I think it's going to be a good episode. That's what I'm saying. I'm excited. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, look, we're in full swing. Episode six is like we're approaching the halfway point of the season. Mm -hmm. I think it's only 13 episodes. So strap in, y'all, because this is episode six is around where the seasons usually get ridiculous. Something awful happens. But re-adonious. Okay, well, thank you all for joining us. If you enjoyed the program, you can catch us every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Live, or you can download us as a podcast every Monday, wherever podcasts come from. And if you do, please rate and subscribe. Please do rate and subscribe. That helps us get found by other people. Uh, we are on Facebook and Instagram at Set Phasers Podcast, so feel free to follow us and join in the conversation of all things Trek. Set phasers. If you want to support us in our continuing mission to discover what Discovery has in store for us, we'd only be delighted. You can patronize us, we can take it, by going to patreon.com slash set phasers. And until next time, I'm Steph Mans. And I'm Aki Burmese. And this has been Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Computer. End program. Hmm?